It's graduation weekend at the Harlow House, so I couldn't preach this weekend because my youngest daughter graduated from high school. Way to go, Becca. And it is uh, my last graduation party. Thank you very much. Because when they graduate from college, we just give them a bill and uh, that's all. Um, so since I wasn't going to be able to be up this weekend and I wanted to do something at the beginning of the summer to get you involved in what was going on around us, um, we invited John Ferguson to come and preach for us today. Uh, here's what we want to have happen. When you leave here, there's going to be, there's a, there's a booth, there are booths out there with 11 different ministries that are going on locally. And what we wanted to do is as we hit the beginning of the summer was to be able to say, hey, look, let's, you got a little extra time this summer. Uh, you know, the weather's nice. There's stuff going on. Your kids are out of school. Maybe you could get involved and go out and do something and, and make it change the world difference in, in your community right now. So uh, we're going to have that opportunity. And I invited John. John's been my friend for a long time, over 20 years. Um, John's dad was one of my mentors when I first came here 21 years ago to this church. Uh, they planted a church in, uh, in Naperville, Community Christian Church in Naperville. Him and his brother and a couple of other, uh, a couple other people started that church, which is one of the most innovative churches in America. Uh, they have 13 campuses. They're one of the innovators in having multiple campuses. The reason we have Lockport is because of them. Uh, because they gave us the model and showed us how to do it, and we'll have many others because of uh, the things that they have done for us. But uh, a, a, a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, John came to us and he said, "Hey, look, we've been talking about planting churches in Chicago because we're, you know, we're in the suburbs, and and they're in the suburbs in Naperville, mostly in Aurora and around in there. And, and they were like, you know, we've we've been talking together for years about planting in Chicago. We're going to go do this. Community's going to go do this. So we're going to go plant." Three campuses in Chicago. Will you guys just jump in with us? And we said yes. And you know we've given a lot of money and people and resources to help them plant. And 11 weeks ago they opened the very first one. And the next one will open up this fall. And then there will be a third one that will go on down there. But the thing that makes John special to me is that John, uh, you know, he's got a son that's getting ready to be a high schooler. He's got a daughter that's in seventh grade. And they decided that if they were going to oversee these three campuses in Chicago, the best thing they could do would be to go live there. And so they uprooted their suburban, you know, little spoiled suburban kids out of Naperville and they moved them into into downtown. They moved them into the Lincoln Park area so that they could live down there and be among them and, and really be a part of that. And I mean, I know they didn't go plant in Cabrini Green. They didn't move to Inglewood. It wasn't crazy. He's not that spiritual. But 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 it was you know what I'm saying? It was it was it was look, we're going to live this commitment. We're going to go do this. We're going to be a part of this. And so uh, I invited John to come because I want you to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing to help the, with the work that's going on in Chicago. But more importantly, because he has a message about uh, about what it means to, to, to go into the all world and, and reach the, and teach them with the gospel. But to do that, starting with right where we are. So will you welcome my friend John Ferguson? Yeah, you know, um, if you gauge spirituality based on what neighborhood you live in, in Chicago, I probably blew it big time because uh, I live in Lincoln Park, full disclosure. So nobody should feel sorry for me at all. It's, it's far from Inglewood. But you know what? Truth is, um, I uh, am incredibly grateful uh, to the people of Parkview and to Tim and, and, and Bill and, and the others on the staff and the leadership here 
for the vision and generosity that you had to believe in, in this vision and this mission that we're up to of, of launching uh, new sites. Uh, and we hope that it just starts in Lincoln Square. That's the community that we started 11 weeks ago with the grand opening. We're going to be in Edgewater. We're looking at other communities throughout the Chicagoland area. It's not going to be a one and done. We plan to stay there for the long haul and to know that there's a tremendous need on any given weekend. There's probably one out of 10 people in Chicago, in the city that are actually in church. And so we've got a long ways to go and uh, just appreciate so much your partnership. You know, I get to travel a little bit around the country and, and, and see churches and talk to church leaders. And I can tell you that what's happening here at Parkview, um, you might not realize this, but it's getting noticed. And uh, people are really uh, admiring and following what you're doing. And so I just want to say, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. Uh, you're making a big difference. And, uh, and we at Community are big fans and just appreciate the chance to work with you guys. I want to talk to you about dreams. I want to talk to you about dreams today because, you know, uh, when, when it comes to dreams, uh, I used to think there were those who dream every night and then those who seldom or never dream. You know what I'm talking about? I always kind of thought there were those who dream almost every night and then there were others who very seldom, if ever, dream. But researchers will tell you that the truth is we all dream. We all dream. Every one of us dream. And really the world is divided up into two groups of people. There are those of us who remember our dreams and there are those of us who just simply don't remember our dreams. All right. So to kind of engage you just a little bit, I want to take a quick poll. OK, and I want you to respond by raising your hand. OK, how many of you dream almost every night and you remember your dreams? OK, about half of you. How many would say, you know what? I almost never remember my dreams. Okay, some of you raised your hands twice. What's what's going on here? You can't remember if you remember your dreams. I don't know what's going on. Uh, You know, my wife, Lisa, uh, she wakes up almost every morning and with vivid detail, she can tell me all about the dream or the dreams that she had the night before. And, you know, uh, sometimes they're like slices of life that just don't seem to have a whole lot of meaning. Don't tell her I said that. Other times, you know, when she describes her dream, it's like, you know, jumping into the middle of an epic tale by C.S. Lewis. I mean, all kinds of imagery and colors and activities going on. But most of the time, you know, she's just dreaming about me. (laughs) Or Brad Pitt. Same difference. Somebody over here laughed a little too loud on that last one. (laughs) It wasn't really that funny. (laughs) You did? Oh, okay. (laughs) Are you dreaming about Brad Pitt? Okay. But you know what? <laughs> but you know what? The truth, I almost never remember my dreams. And it's kind of frustrating. I, I wish I did. I hardly ever do. Because I really think that sometimes God speaks to us through our dreams. Uh, several years ago, the leadership of community, the church uh, that Tim spoke of that I helped start several years ago, we were contacted by a guy by the name of Glenn Beertz. And, and Glenn was a lifetime member of a church down the road from Naperville, further west in Montgomery, Montgomery, Illinois, on Montgomery Road. And uh, the, the church there, you know, wanted more than anything to help people find their way back to God. I mean, they had the same mission that, that you have here at Parkview, the same mission that we have at Community. The problem was that they, they dwindled down to about 15 or 20 people. They heard what we were doing at Community, and they, they wanted to know if we would consider taking over their existing church facility. And I know you have a similar story with your Lockport campus. Well, at that time, this is about eight years ago, you know, I'd heard a lot of horror stories about church mergers. And so, quite honestly, I was a little bit leery of of this opportunity. But nonetheless, our lead team, we have about four or five people that are part of our lead team that leads our staff. Uh, We we talked about it, but we also decided, let's just kind of keep this really quiet. Keep it among ourselves for now so we can pray and process over this decision. But it wasn't long until we decided that we needed to get other people praying about it also. And so I'll never forget the day we told the rest of our staff. 
Again, remember, no one outside of our lead team, that group of four or five, knew anything about the possibility of this new campus on Montgomery Road in Montgomery, Illinois. But when we finished our staff meeting that day, we finally let them know about it. Uh, my brother Dave, who's on the staff there with me, found an email in his inbox from one of our team members. And, and here's how it read. Dear Dave, weird thing. I had a dream last night. It was weird, but what stood out to me was this little old lady in my dream that just stood there telling me I needed to go and find a church in Montgomery. I kept asking her how to get there, and she told me to go down Montgomery Road, and I would see the signs, and they would tell me where to go. She said I couldn't miss it, but it was important that I check it out. Then today at staff meeting, for the first time, I hear about this church thing and this property that somebody wants to give us on Montgomery Road in Montgomery. Weird, isn't it? I can tell you, that dream confirmed to us that God was up to something. He was at work. And so we started a, a campus in that, that little uh, building there on Montgomery Road in Montgomery, Illinois. And, and, and today, if you were to show up there to celebrate, you'd see about 500 people, you know, worshiping and celebrating and finding their way back to God. That campus has been responsible for starting other campuses in communities like Yorkville and East Aurora and actually launched a brand new church in Boston. God's doing something. Now, I, I tell you that because Ezekiel, the prophet, he had a weird dream too. Now, his dream wasn't about roads and signs. His dream was about water and rivers. And I want to read it to you, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a fairly lengthy section of Scripture. And so, uh, remember, it's a dream, okay? He's sharing his dream with us. And uh, if it helps, you know, you can kind of close your eyes. Maybe that'll help you imagine what this dream is like. Or if you want to follow along in the Scripture, you can, all right? But uh, here's Ezekiel's dream. He says, I, was, I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. And the water was trickling. As the man, now this man that he refers to is an angel that kind of guides him through this dream. So as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. Then he led me to the banks of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the Dead Sea, the salt water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows from there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fruit trees of every kind will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What a weird but remarkable dream from Ezekiel. Now, there's several things that I want you to notice about Ezekiel's dream here. And the first is that it was all about water. H2O, water's amazing, you know, if you think about it. Uh, did you know that when you were born, uh, you were about 80% water? Did you know that? When you're born, you're about 80% water. Huge connection between water and life. Uh, your brain is 85% water. Some of you are thinking that explains a whole lot. But I didn't say air, I said water, okay? Uh, watermelon is 92% water, just thought I'd throw that one in there. 
But without water, the normal person would die in about three days. And with a bottle of water about this size, you can live for an entire week. Water brings life. In fact, scientists now believe that there may be water on Mars. And why is that a big deal? Because if there's water on Mars, chances are there is what? Right, life. And I say all that because the key image in Ezekiel's dream is water. It's life-giving water, living water. And in Ezekiel's dream, the water, okay, is flowing out from the temple. You've got to catch that. The water is flowing out from the temple. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but back in those days, everything was thought of as flowing toward the temple, all right? Like most church buildings, you know? Uh, people would go to the temple to worship. You know, you went to the temple to offer your sacrifices. People would come from all over the nation to celebrate these festivals, and they would come to the temple. But see, not in Ezekiel's dream. Instead of the water flowing toward the temple, the water is actually flowing out from the temple. And then did you catch where the water is, or the, where the river is flowing toward? The river is flowing toward what? Somebody said it. The Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because the water is so salty in the Dead Sea that virtually nothing can live in it. It's actually eight times saltier than the ocean. Uh, did anybody else's mom make them gargle salt water as a remedy for a sore throat when you were growing up? Sheer torture. I mean, seriously, that, that was the worst, wasn't it? I mean, and, and, um, and that, that last little bit of water at the bottom of the glass because the salt would all settle. Remember how awful those last couple of gargles were? Yeah, it was brutal, wasn't it? I mean, as a kid, for me, you know, it, it was like salt water or Listerine. Take your choice. And that was before they had all these like mint flavored Listerines and whatnot. I mean, that was the bad stuff. But see, the Dead Sea is like that salty. I mean, like that, that water at the bottom of the glass when you're gargling salt water. I mean, the water is so salty that only a few bacteria can even live in it. And so hopefully you're getting the picture that the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because, well, everything in the Dead Sea is... Tim told me that you were a sharp group. It's very good. All right. And see, this water is flowing from the temple to the Dead Sea. And the water is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Ankle deep. Knee deep. Waist deep. Eventually, it's so deep that you can swim in it. And as the water flows, it forms a mighty river that flows into the deadest of dead places, okay? And what happens? Those dead places start showing signs of life. And it's not just a little life. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're vibrant with new life. I mean, Ezekiel uses phrases like swarming and, and teeming with life. There's so much life. The whole Dead Sea turns into a body of fresh, life-giving water. Fruit trees are growing that produce fruit all year round, and there are leaves on these trees that have healing powers. I mean, it's, it's an amazing vision of a river that brings life to everything that was once dead and dying. Incredible. Now, if Ezekiel were my friend, and he told me this dream, I would have said, well, first I would have said, Zeke, you need to get some Lunesta. Because chances are you're not getting much sleep if you're dreaming like this. But the other thing is I'd say, Zeke, I'd call him Zeke instead of Ezekiel. I'd say, Zeke, you know... Um, that is one bizarre dream. But I would also say, Zeke, you know, that, that dream that you have matches very closely how God describes the world in the very beginning. It does. That dream describes very closely how God presents the world in the very beginning. And I'd show him in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, The Lord God had planted a garden in the east. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. Flowed from Eden. 
And then what I also would have told him, you know, Zeke, your dream is also a vision of how it's going to be in the very end. And then I would point him to Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 or 22. And I'd read him this. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. See, just like at the beginning, in the end of time, there's a river of life that brings life to all. Both in the beginning and both at the very end. There's a, I mean, check out the imagery. A tree whose fruit is always there. Nobody goes hungry. Leaves that bring healing to all the nations of the world. You see, Ezekiel's dream is really God's dream. From the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the very end, we have a God who dreams of a river of life that would bring everlasting life to the whole world. Now, I think we all know that, that God wants us to love each other. I mean, one of the first things you learn in Sunday school is to love one another, right? You with me on that? And then a little bit later on, we learn that, uh, you know, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But today I want to challenge us not only to love each other, not only to love our neighbors, but I want to challenge us to consider actually fulfilling God's dream for the world. I mean, who here, who here in your lifetime, show of hands, who here in your lifetime would love to see God's dream for the world fulfilled? Anybody? Absolutely. And you see, God's dream for the whole world becomes real when we, like him, love the whole world. And his love for the whole world is laid out in one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. I probably don't even have to say it. You already know where I'm going. John 3, 16. If you know it by heart, let's recite it together. If not, you can read along. Okay, let's go. Let's read it. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his... That whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. See that right there? That is how God's dream becomes real. You, me, us together, this community, Parkview, community Christian, all communities of faith, as many as we can get together when we sacrificially start loving the whole world. That's how his dream comes to life. But if you're like me, you look at that passage of Scripture, John 3.16, one that we... It kind of rolls off our tongue. Sometimes we just say it almost flippantly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I have to ask myself, okay, how in the world is it possible for me, because we've got to bring it down to you and me, don't we? How is it possible for me to love the world like that? You know, my son is 14 now, and he can pretty much look me eye to eye. But I remember when he, was, uh, when he was just born, I remember the first time I held him in my arms. Seems like yesterday. Hinsdale Hospital. After my wife heroically gave birth to him, our first child. You know, there was that moment when the nurse hands that little baby to, to me, the dad, and never holding a baby, at least your own, like that before. I mean, you're convinced that if you don't hold them just perfect, they might break. So I'm kind of juggling him in my arms and... I was immediately struck by how much I love this little guy whom I'd only known for a couple of moments. I mean, I, I had no idea that I had the capacity to love like that. And if you're a father, you know that. Or if you are close to a child, you know what that love is you have for a child. And how amazing and instantaneous it is. 
Now, many of you know, and, and I mentioned it before, and so did Tim. Thanks to the generosity and vision of this church in Parkview, my family, we moved to Chicago to start new churches. And the first one started just 11 weeks ago in Lincoln Square on the northwest side. And I got to tell you, even in that short period of time, I already love that community. I mean, some of the people I'm just getting to know, but, you know, others I'm in small group with. Some I've already seen find their way back to, to God. I'm getting to know their stories. You know, I mean, we're doing life together. And it might sound crazy, but there's some in that community that I love so much already that if I was faced with a situation where I needed to give up my life for one of them, I would. I think I would. I hope I would. But when I look at John 3.16 and I think about what it took for God to love this world, there's not a single one of them there that I love enough to give up my child for. I just couldn't give up my kid for any one of them. And I know Pastor Tim and I know Bill and others on your staff. And I know they love you guys. They love this church. They've done life with you. They've watched many of you find your way back to God. You're in small groups with some of them. They've married some of you, buried friends and family members. And I have a hunch that if they were faced with a situation where they had to give up their life for some of you, I think they would. Well, at least for most of you. There might be a couple that they wouldn't, but... But I know this, too, that if they were asked to give up their kid for any one of you, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So think about that. I mean, if giving up my child is what it takes to love the world, I can't do it. Can you? So how do we do it? How do we love the world? Well, let me, let me tell you something that I've been learning. And I think it goes back to an interesting connection between Ezekiel's dream, this river of life, and, and me loving the world. All right, stay with me on this, because in Jesus' day, there was this celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles, and people from all over the world would come to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate it. And every year, they would read the passage we just read from Ezekiel 47 about the river flowing out from the temple, okay? Uh, one day during this feast, Jesus was teaching at the very place, that very place in the temple, and he says this incredibly audacious thing, all right? He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, all right, question, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Yeah. He says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying that when we follow him, that river in Ezekiel will flow through us and bring life to the deadness within us and the deadness within others around us. That's the way it works. I mean, we all have deadness in our lives, don't we? I mean, think about it. In places where it, it seems like the life is just being sucked right out of you. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a relationship that's dead or... At best, on life support. Or maybe it's your job. I mean, things have been tough for quite a while now for a lot of people. And maybe anymore you feel like you're just showing up so you can pay the bills. It's not fun. It's a chore. Or I don't know, maybe you're you're dead financially. The bills just keep mounting up. The debt's getting greater and greater. You don't even want to open the mailbox. You don't want to pick up the phone. You can't see any way out. Or maybe it's loneliness that's taking the life out of you. you. You know, if you're honest, you'd say... Yeah, there are times I feel so lonely, I don't even feel like I have a life. 
And see, Jesus is saying that if you choose to follow me, I'm not saying it's going to all be easy all of a sudden, but I will not only bring life to those places in your life that seem dead, my love will flow through you, all right? My love will flow through you to bring life to your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your community and your city and your nation and, yeah, even the world. And see, and wherever there are things that are, that are headed toward death and dying, they're going to find life. And see, that's how we love the world. It's not our love, thank goodness, because I don't got it. Do you? No. It's God's love flowing through us. And see, as Christ followers, I believe that we will know that we are loving the world and that God's love is flowing through us when we love locally and we dream globally. When we love locally and we dream globally. Say that after me, okay? Love locally. Dream globally. I want to show you a picture, and uh, then I want to tell you a quick story about this baby and her mom. And uh, that's that's a pretty good baby picture there, isn't it? Yeah, I know I know I know Pastor Tim likes uh, baby pictures, and I think that that's pretty much right up there when you say Tim. But with her permission, Jesse uh, Jesse shared this story. She writes, "About ten months ago, I found out that I was pregnant. As a single mom, this was devastating news." I knew what I had done was dead wrong, but, that was, but what was I going to do now? Uh, my family was asking me to end it and was even willing to provide the money. I was feeling so alone and so ashamed. Even though I had been attending community for some time, I remember thinking that I might have to find a new church to avoid the embarrassment of being a single pregnant mom. I didn't want pity and I really didn't want to hear people say they were sorry. So I loaded Deb and my four-year-old in the car and went to church that next Sunday after finding out I didn't know if I would talk to anybody that day about it or not. I almost didn't say anything, but, well, because of the warmth of the message in the community, I, I decided to look for Nick. Nick's uh, one of the leaders at, at community. She says, I wanted Nick to be the first person I told. I told him, and his first words to me were not, I'm sorry. His words were, congratulations. I was shocked. Surely he knew that I was single. He had to know that this was wrong, but he chose the word, congratulations, instead of, I'm sorry. And then he told me, Jesse, if you keep this baby, this church will stand behind you and get you through this. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And with his encouragement, I went to my first small group that night. I told them how I was considering an abortion, but I decided to go ahead and have the baby. Uh, Brett and Ginger, they were the leaders. It was them and that group that got me through this. When things got tough, they prayed for me and they loved me. And she wraps up by saying, it was so nice to walk into the church. And when they saw my belly start to grow, they greeted me warmly and asked me about my baby. She said, they love me. For me, she says, this has been a place where I can just come as I am. Even as a single pregnant mom, I was welcome. And on February 17th, 2011, uh, Micah Faith Rodriguez was born. And, you know, my favorite part of the story is that uh, when Jesse first brought that little Micah to church with her, she was so excited about showing her new little girl off to everyone. But the first person she looked up was Nick. Uh, Nick, the guy who said congratulations. And she literally physically held that little Micah up to Nick's face like this and said, Micah, this is Nick. He's a good man. You need to get to know this man. This man saved your life. God's love was flowing through Nick. 
And that baby's alive because of God's love. God's love that was flowing through that small group. God's love that was flowing through Brett and Ginger, the leaders of that group. God's love that was flowing through that mom, Jesse, who had the courage to have that child. God's love is a river of life that can flow through me and it can flow through you. And I know in this room, you know, as I, I look across this room, I know there is story after story after story of people who in this room, I mean, your lives were dead and dying. And now you have life because somebody else in this room allowed the love of God to flow through them to you. And see, as a Christ follower, every single day, God brings you into contact with people who are in desperate need of life. Yeah, it, it might be a marriage that's dead and dying. You can bring life. It might be a career that's comatose and purposeless. You can bring life. It might be an addiction or a sinful pattern that's just trying to, to rob somebody of all that God has for them. You can bring life. You can bring life. You can love locally. But you know what? We can't stop there. We also have to dream globally. And, and yeah, we need to take action right where we live, right where we are, where we work, where we play, right here locally. But don't ever forget that God loves all people of all races and all kinds of places all over the world. And he wants all of them to experience life. Uh, a few years ago, I had the uh, chance, my son and I, to travel to the Philippines to spend some time with Jeff Pacino. My son was about 10 years old at the time. And, and Jeff became a Christ follower at the age of 19. And six weeks later, believed that God wanted him to move to the Philippines to live among the poorest of the poor. And he did just that. He started Frontline Ministries, which is a part of New Thing. It's a network of reproducing churches all over the world. Parkview is a part of it. Community Christian Church is a part of it. And now Frontline, 25 years later, is a church with five campuses in the Philippines, a, a home for street kids called Face the Children, uh, an academy called Frontline Academy for kids that wouldn't have a shot at a good education. Otherwise, there's a prison ministry, there's a hospital ministry. I mean, they're doing incredible stuff. What has happened through Jeff in 25 years is nothing short of incredible. But what I love is that if you were to ask Jeff today, okay, I mean, after 25 years, you know, he could easily pack it in, kind of coast, take it easy, right? But if you were to ask him, after 25 years, Jeff, what's the dream for Frontline? What do you want to see happen in the Philippines? You know what he'd tell you? He'd say, I'd like to get every homeless kid off of the streets in the Philippines. And then if you were to ask him, okay, how many kids are on the street in the Philippines? Jeff would say, there's three million. Three million. And if you were to ask him, okay, how do you respond when somebody says, oh, Jeff, that's just impossible. Jeff kind of likes to shrug, get a little smirk on his face, smile, and he says, maybe it is impossible. But nobody's tried. Nobody's tried. So we have to love locally. But we also have to dream globally. And I want you to hear me on this. And I would say this if I was standing in front of the folks at, at community as well. Don't get old and cynical. Whatever you do, don't get old and cynical. Because God hasn't. Don't stop believing. God still believes it can get done. And He still believes we can do it. And He wants to do it through us. You know, I've known for a long time that uh, I need to believe in Jesus. But I feel like I'm beginning to learn something new, and it's this. And maybe this helps you out. I not only need to believe in Jesus, but I need to believe that Jesus believes in me. 
I not only need to believe in Jesus, I need to believe that Jesus believes in me. Do you believe? You see, every once in a while, somebody will ask me at, at community, I'm sure Tim and Bill get asked this question, you know, what, what's, what's the long-term dream for the church? And then I get to talk about how, you know, our dream, you know, our dream is to have 200 church sites all over the Chicagoland area. And we want to partner with churches like Parkview to, to be a catalyst for a movement of reproducing churches, you know, not just locally, but global, globally. Churches, you know, all over the world that are loving, letting God's love flow through them locally and globally. And when, when, I, when I kind of share that vision, I can tell sometimes people are looking back at me and, and, and they're thinking, really? You seriously think you can do that? And I always want to say, no, I, I don't. Of course I don't believe I can change the world. But I do believe that God can change the world. And so does God. And that's his dream. Don't give up on that. Don't give up on that. You see, I, I used to think that there were two types of people in the church. I thought there were people who um, had big dreams. And then I just thought there were people that don't dream at all. I used to think there were people that had big dreams. And then there were people that don't dream at all. But I don't believe that anymore. Because, see, I think God has a dream for every single one of us, the whole world. And, and, see, I really believe that the church can be divided into two groups of people. I think there are those who, who go to bed and they wake up every day, day after day, and they just never remember God's dream. It's kind of go through the motions. I think that's one group, people that wake up every day, day after day, and they never remember God's dream. But I think there's another group of people and those people wake up every day and they remember the dream of God. And because of that, they allow his love to flow through them, to touch the lives of others, not just locally, but globally, all over the world. So which kind of person are you? You're going to wake up every day, day after day, and never remember the dream of God? Or are you going to wake up in the morning and remember God's dream for you and his dream for this world and love locally and dream globally. Let's pray. God, we know this is, uh, this is not something that we can in any way, shape, or form do on our own. God, we're just blown away we think that you loved us so much that you were willing to give up your son. But at the same time, Father God, thank you that you are a God who loves us enough to not only um, send your one and only son, but you also send us your spirit and your spirit comes to life inside of us so that we don't have to depend on our own ability or on our own love, on our own compassion, our own mercy, on our own grace, but on your love that can flow through us to bring life to all the places that are dead and dying, not only in our world, but in the worlds of the people that we come into contact with every single day. So God, I, I pray that there would be such an incredible awakening, God, that, that not only the people in this room, but the people in, in rooms like this, in buildings and places all over this community, all over this city, all over the world, would in a new way recognize the power of your love that can flow through them to touch people's lives in life-changing ways. God, we want to be the people who love locally. We want to be the people who dream globally. We ask for your help. We pray this in your name. Amen.